0: The chain of command on this vessel breaks down to the point that I'm in charge. We're going to (laughs) die. So I see a lady had a knife in her hand from the steakhouse. Knocked over all the pictures. She slashed the host. The whole department head walks up to me and says, all right. You're on. Don't mention this. <laughs> don't mention this, Ron! I don't know if you remember, I had a heart attack during Tim's show, but I didn't go to the doctor till like I went up to the deli. And i was like, I'll get a sandwich and I'll feel better. And people are coming by that already seen my show. So they're like, hey, it's Johnny! Ah, uh, you're dying, huh? like, yeah, I am, huh? Coming to you from McCurdy's Comedy Theater
1: in Sarasota, Florida. It's the Open Board Comedy Show. Today's guest. Johnny Millwater, comedian, poet, father, and matador. Watch his comedy special, Mostly Joking, and Open
0: Bar Comedy. Here's your host on
1: Hey everybody, this is Ron Feingold from Open Bar Comedy. If you are not familiar with our platform, uh, we are about uh, freedom of expression. Yeah. And, and, and today is a special day because Johnny Millwater is back in my life. Let me tell you about this. This is the first guy I ever met when I moved to Orlando in 1999. The first comic I ever met. Really? You are. I did not know you that. You totally are. And um, so one of the nicest guys, I don't I hope you don't mind, but, but one of the nicest rumor. human beings I've ever met. And then we end up on a Carnival cruise ship. Uh, you were on so much longer than I was, but when I was on there, it was enough to drive me crazy enough. So I was going crazy and Johnny was the only one that got me through that. We were on like a 10 day thing and I was going nuts through day two. So he got me through that. I'm eternally grateful. I was ready to jump. I was so ready to jump. So eternal love for this man. But ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Millwater is in the house. Hey! Yes. Yes. Hey there, open bar fans. But here's the thing. We haven't caught up at all in the past since, even since the pandemic. Yeah. And, and let me um, say, uh, since the pandemic, uh, well, let me say this before the pandemic, you were working a lot for Carnival. You were almost yeah. always on the ship. Yeah, not so. How many weeks a year would you say you were doing? I'd
0: say 48. Jesus. Yeah, 48 Tons weeks. a week. Yeah, yeah, a lot. So a for lot of time 10 on the years. ship.
1: Basically living on a ship. Pretty much. And then so then the pandemic hit, everybody was off the ships and you decided not to go back. Yes. So I don't know what you've been doing since and I wanna catch up on that, but let's go way back before that. Got so uh, 1999, you were doing comedy already. Mm-hmm. You were swallowing balloons, I remember. You were doing oh, this yeah. balloon swallowing thing and it was amazing. And uh, met you at the wonderful Why Not Lounge.
0: In Altamont Springs, Florida, the homeroom. Oh shit, that oh. was
1: a good room. So we met there and I did like a setter or something like For a sure. guest set or whatever. And I think you were working, you were featuring that night or whatever. and. Uh, so you introduced me. You told me the lowdown on everything. You gave me uh, just the rundown. This is who you want to call. Call Les McCurdy. does really? this. Oh yeah, you told me everybody, Aww. everything. You know, do all this. so you you set me up. You were just wonderful. So, um, how long before that were you doing comedy, and what's happened since?
0: Well, I started uh, stand up professionally in 1996. Uh, it was my senior year in high school or uh, my first year in college. Uh, I started my first open mic when I was 13, and I was a magician from the time I was 11 until the time I was 17. So like when I was 11 to 17, I was doing birthday parties and restaurants and making balloon animals and children's entertainment, basically. And then when I got to college, I took my magic and I put it into a stand-up format, and I was a comedy magician for five, six, seven, eight years. And then I sort of moved away from that into more traditional stand-up.
1: Why did you want to get out of the, the magic stuff?
0: I More of a purist? You know, I I hate to think of myself that way, and I certainly—God knows—the purists hated me for Uh excellent reasons. My act at the time—I would uh, do an animal balloon of death, which was swallowing a balloon. It's like a sword swallowing thing with a balloon, very, very phallic. I think I I watched it recently. It's six and a half minutes of non-stop dick jokes. There's 60 (laughs) dick jokes right in a row. Really, the whole bit is that long? It's kind of impressive. It's kind of impressive the amount of dick jokes. I wish you still did it. Yeah, and and you never want to get too far from Dick Joke Island. I mean, the road is the perfect place for 61 dick jokes. But uh, and then. I would uh, do a thing in the middle, straight jacket or something, and then I would eat fire yeah. at the end. Uh, and but the comedy that I liked, except for the Amazing Jonathan, uh, and maybe Penn and Teller, was you know the the, the late Bill Cosby and oh, he's dead to me and and the <laughs> the monologists, the George Carlins, the the people who painted pictures with words. You know what I mean? And that's the stuff that really drew me. So that's what I wanted to do. I never quite got good at it, but I worked at it for a long
1: time. I don't agree. So we're talking about your evolution as a comedian. Yes. And you started out doing um, some magic, mm-hmm. then comedy magic, and then just strictly comedy after that. And that was around the 2000s or so. When did you start working for
0: Carnival? And let's talk about that experience oh, for you. Oh, you bet. Uh, I started uh, working for Carnival in 1999 out of college. I was a variety comedy act. So it would usually be me and another comedian. Doing the fly-on. Uh, yeah, doing the fly-on, but I'd only do one show back then. Right. Or I would do two shows. I would do a main show, 25, 30 minutes with another comedian in the band. Uh, and then a midnight show, which was 30, where anything goes. And then you get the fuck out. And then I, out. I, after, after, I'll tell you exactly why I stopped, because it was working pretty well. The guy who did the booking at a time, I don't want to say his name, but it's Chris Burdell, he used to, <laughs> uh, he, he, he actively disliked me. Me too. Yeah, and, and he, would, he would deliberately book me places that were very hard to get to, where I'd have to stand outside long times. And he Anyway, that made it hard, but the audiences were lovely, and the people on the ships were great. That but I good. actually, it was after 9-11 that I stopped working Carnival, because I'm, I'm born in Iran. Uh, the country of Iran. It's, it's, I really am. And I was there for less than a year. I moved here as a baby. But my passport still has my birthplace. as Tehran. So after 2001, I was random bag check guy every single oh, time shit. for three years. And I couldn't take it anymore. So we just so went on the road. And then uh, when I got back, uh, after I had my first son, my sister, who is Kim Harrison, you should check her out at KimHarrisonComedy.com. God, she's good.
1: Kimmy. Got me Kimmy's out of a jam, jam in Australia. I love Kimmy, her.
0: Kimmy's the greatest. She'll get you out of a jam anywhere. She's, she's, she's fucking the best. It's all heart. But uh, I was doing road work uh, when my first son was born. I had some gig up in North Dakota. And she was like, dude, this is ridiculous. I feel sorry for you. I'll get you back in. And she wrote a note to Chris. And I came back in. I worked for him for 10 years. How, how long did you work the ship?
1: I started with them off and on from uh, about... 19, around the same time, 1999 or so was for me. And uh, my, my number started with 231. Do you remember your number, your car number?
0: 23258.
1: Two, oh, there we go. So just a little bit before you then, I guess. I don't know. I guess it was 95. Actually, that's my zip code. Never yeah. mind. No, it, it was 95 because I started... <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. (laughs) We started uh, because I met Laura in 1996 and I worked Carnival before that. But I I did the fly-on thing and then I started working for them even more in 2018 when um, I started doing the the Punchliner. And um, I did a good two years and it just, I was just ready to jump off you after work? a while. Oh, not as many as you, because I, I wasn't as rated as high. As I had like a three, you know, yeah. I had a three or a four at yeah. the most. And, and a five is the best rating
0: that you could get. And I know. Also, I, I would like to point out that that's a horrific way to handle comedians. Rating us on a scale of one to five, rating artists on a scale of one to five. Are yes. we allowed curse? Absolutely, that is so fucked up. It is, and and, and, and a twenty-one-year-old is doing, and it. to tell whoever's doing it, and then to tell them, this is your rating. You're not as good as this comedian over here. We have enough of that shit in our own head. We don't need to be motivated like uh, you know people who are working for minimum wage. We we do stand-up comedy for a living. When we kill, feels good. When we die, we feel bad. You're completely submerged in that moment, and if you're on a ship, you're submerged in that world. for I think I I bombed. Literally. I think once I remember and. And it was just the whole rest of the week was really really rough seeing everybody at breakfast and everybody's avoid non-contact And I remember I remember this moment specifically. It was the bad recognition. They'd be walking down the hall They look up they see me. They're like hey, I know that guy. Oh shit. It's that comedian. I didn't like him Okay, so let me share the movie. Yes So I would see that four to five times a day and it would make me very sad. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: I guess that would be the reason why you didn't go back. Oh, it's just one of them. It's, it, the whole thing is it's psychological. Mental health,
0: right? Well, the travel's nuts. Let's, first of all, let's just talk about the, the lifestyle. Let's, talk about, uh, let's say you're a, a fly-on comedian. Um, let's say you're doing a back-to-back, OK? For, if you get getting a counter let's say you're doing a five-day. That's most of the stuff I did, like the fantasy class, the middle of the road. You would fly in on day one. You would have one show that night, usually very dirty, very, very, very drunk. You're exhausted from traveling because maybe I mean there are 24, 36-hour travel days on Carnival. Often, they're and then not. Then you have
1: to do vessel fam when you get there. You yeah. have to do a meeting. If you don't know, you have to go watch a movie. You have some Italian guy giving you all of the uh, safety features of the ship. You have just traveled a whole
0: bunch. It's a corporate customs, training every single time. An hour every and time. a half of corporate training every single time. Then you can't take a nap. you got to go right to work. Sorry to interrupt. No, thanks, insurance. That yeah. would be great. As I've always said, I used to say it in my show, if the chain of command on this vessel breaks down to the point that I'm in charge, we're going to die. <laughs> you don't <laughs> yeah. want me in charge of safety in any way. <laughs> we're sinking. Yeah, that's why I, I do comedy. I'm comedy fucking boy. useless. There uh, wasn't security in the room. That's also very important. If there you know, was. I'm they were out. there. That, like, they were in your room? They're there, but they didn't do anything. When I was working at Carnival, there was never security in the room. Wow. Ever. Yeah, I, I used to make a joke about it. I said, there's not room for security with all this insecurity. <laughs> just, I was mad. <laughs> so I had to mention, it's just like to have them in the bar, they have, it's a dangerous place. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, I didn't talk about it at the time. I saw a woman get stabbed at the comedy club on a fantasy. Some woman, this is absolutely true, and the fantasy's not around anymore. I won't tell you which chain of uh, cruise lines it is. Anyway, uh... <laughs> So a lady, she comes up. All right, so uh, the the comedy show's on the promenade deck, all right? It's a deck, let's say, nine. It goes all the way from one side of the ship to the other. It's like a mall, all right? It's a store. It's an elevator. It's a different store. It's a disco. It's a coffee shop. And then at the very end is the comedy club. So a lady comes out. uh, Oh, and a whole bunch of photographs. There's a whole bunch of people uh, with sort of backgrounds where you can pose in your fancy clothes and take pictures in the background. That's what she's walking past. So I see a lady, uh, probably about 350 to 375 pounds. Red shirt like the Kool-Aid man. No underwear of any kind. She was no pants, no underwear of any kind. Genitals yes. visible. Had, a, had, yes. had a, a, a knife in her hand from the steakhouse. Oh, fuck. Uh, clearly intoxicated. Beyond intoxicated, we've seen thousands of drunk people. This lady has been cheated on and intoxicated, or she's on coke and somebody stole from Something happened where she went over the edge and she went down the entire aisle, the promenade. She knocked over all the pictures. She did slash to people. She slashed the host of the show. yeah. It, this was like at 11.58 this went down, okay? Show starts at 12. So she comes in, she slashes everybody, she slashes the host, ah! Security comes up. They don't tackle her. They don't stop her. They make a circle around her like they're doing the horror or something <laughs> they're going to pick her up on a chair and take her out but they don't and they just say put the knife down Put the-. they're all Indian it's not, a, it's not a stereotype literally the people who work they in are. security they are. are from the country of India and they say put the knife down put the knife down put the knife down and then they just sort of walked her away and then the the, the, the uh, entertainment manager the the department the whole department head walks up to me and says alright you're on don't mention this <laughs> <laughs> don't mention this Ron <laughs> it never so, happened yeah I said I remember that show, because it didn't go great. Right. And people were all shaking around of you Of course they were. It was terrifying. Yeah. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like it.
1: I had two dudes that were about to throw down in the very front of yeah. uh, the stage, and they were right there, one first row and second row. He was like, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Oh, jeez.
0: I'm going to kick your ass.
1: So they're doing this back and forth. I'm keeping everything going. I'm trying to just ignore them, let this thing fizzle out, let them, because you know, I you know, didn't want anything to happen with it. And it did. It fizzled itself out. So I told the comedy club manager about it, who was not a 21-year-old kid, if you know what I mean. I do and um, he said that um, I should have stopped the show and gotten security to come out and stop that fight and did everything. <laughs> I'm like, no, I had everything going; it would have gotten yeah. the momentum gone. So I had a difference of opinion with him. Yeah. But that was the thing that drove me crazy: is we were being evaluated by kids. We were, and you know, that's the thing I love about our format here is that we're talking about the, you know, we're not towing the company line anymore because we couldn't talk shit about the company. That I mean, that was the hand that fed us. I don't care if I go back or not; it doesn't matter to me. But the thing is, is. It was an act of Congress for us to get a washcloth in our room. Mm-hmm. We're put, people don't know, we're put in the bowels of the ship. There's no window or anything. You give a comedian or an entertainer 10 by 10 feet? a box room to stay in. If you've
0: ever seen, uh, this is the way I describe it to my friends, if you've ever seen Orange is the New Black, the it's a prison show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a women's prison show. The room that they use for solitary confinement is identical to our cabin. It's the same thing, except there's one bunk instead of two.
1: There was no uh, soap. There was no, no. washcloth. You just—they no. had a towel. You and you to still had for to certain tip things three a day. And you had to tip day. them like three bucks a day. Just did to not stay do out of your anything. room. Just—I'll give you five yeah. bucks. Just don't <laughs> knock on my
0: door. I get three hours of sleep. Yeah. yeah,
1: it drove me crazy. Yeah. But you handled it so much better than me because you did it so long. I mean, you—you you were always out there. Why
0: were you out there so much, why? I was just forcing, me. I was so desperately unhappy and lonely and suicidal. I was suicidal for the last seven years. I thought about it all the time. And obviously yes, you did too. I did. Uh, I had flashes of it and, and that's gone away. Yay, since I got away from Granville. But, uh, what was the question? The, the, yeah.
1: I mean, what what kept you going what to, kept going why out? did you keep going I out on I just wanted to be around people.
0: I love people one-on-one. I didn't, I'm not crazy about cruise ship people. Uh, like the folks the folks who work on cruise ships are the best people I've ever yes, met. Yes, they they're, are. They're strong. They're, they're, they're able to endure incredible hardship and come out smiling and positive and have the mental fortitude to be decent people in that situation. They're amazing. Mad the folks, respect to everybody yeah, doing love that. Love them. The, th- the folks who take the cruises are not my people. They're, they're just not, they don't value the same things I value. So. Especially but that trivia, audience. I like trivia. Yeah. So I'll go out and I would do a trivia and then I would uh, walk in the morning just to get sunlight on my face. I was just, I, I had sort of become a hobbyist of trying to fight depression. I had read all the articles and found all the things that you're supposed to do, you to sunlight in your eyes in the first 10 minutes and a little yeah. lemon juice in the morning helps with the metabolism and a million little things until the point where I planned out my day second by second so that I wouldn't have time to sit and go, oh my God. And by doing that, I was able to keep moving forward much longer than I should have.
1: But you would say that you stayed out there long enough for your mentality to go, I'm suicidal, I don't want to be out no, here anymore?
0: I, I think the biggest problem with being on the ships is and it, it's very hard for people to imagine that it's hard. Uh, you can't tell anybody. It's, it's just, it sounds like it's an awesome, glamorous job. And the it's show's fantastic. Well, she, yeah, exactly. show's fantastic. But nobody cares about you. That's the, and, 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 which is fine for a week, for a month, for three months maybe. But to be on a ship where your life is on the line sometimes, you're just surviving out there and nobody cares if you're happy or unhappy. You got to show up on time and that's it. And then. The time that you do come out it's never like hey good job it's always you know one to five at the end of the week and they tell you about you know whatever gay dreams they had and, yeah and just not having anybody care about me on the one side hurt and made me feel empty and not like i'm being a human being It didn't feel like a human being i felt oh, like a, yeah. a cog you know what i mean and on the other hand being famous all day made me nuts People don't understand, that can't, and who would care? The idea of being famous temporarily in one small place and then the being fishbowl. not famous everywhere yeah. else, wouldn't that be great? But the idea of not being able to get in the elevator without people talking to me, and I'm, I, I just, I, I, you could see me doing it now. I, I, get, I get real tense mm-hmm. around people, and it's not because of them, it's because I'm an asshole, and I don't want to say something stupid and horrible to them. Yeah. And so that made me very uncomfortable, not being able to eat, not being able to, without people. And usually they were very nice, but sometimes, like, one time I was just up on deck in the sun, just lying down, and some 17-year-old girl came and slapped me on the top of the head as hard as she could. Like, you're that comedian! Like, it was her first beer or whatever it was. Yeah, nobody cares, and you become, like, a fake version of yourself. mm -hmm. It's a very, it's an unreal environment. It's very... It's its own culture. Fakes, fakes. Too soft a word for it, I think, but it is very much its own culture. It's very own, much its own, very 1984. It's as if it's it's a it's a fascist government that's running your daily life. They're doing it. They're they're doing it for profit, but it's this very set, specific set of rules, constantly being watched by. If you read 1984, the lifestyle they lived, mm-hmm. the job is like slightly different, but it's pretty much the same thing. Anytime I met somebody who was new. I mm-hmm. said, make sure you read this, so you understand what they're doing. Make sure you, that's why we <laughs> so dress differently. Into. That's why they set up this whole caste system where these people eat here and these people eat there. It's all manipulation, and it just, it just, it was inhuman, and it bothered me a lot.
1: Would you say the the pandemic was the catalyst that got you off the ships then and, and started a different direction? Without for you?
0: question, because I had a heart attack. I don't know if you remember, I had a heart attack on on New Year's Eve, twenty like 2020, 2019. No. Yeah, I had a heart attack on a ship. No. Yeah, I was I uh, was doing the New Year's Eve show on the uh, Sunshine or something like that, and uh, after I'd done all my shows, it was me and Tim Kavanaugh, and I was on for five days. He did the first three days, no, I did the first three days. He did the last two, and I had a heart attack during Tim's show, uh, but I didn't go to the doctor because I was just like I can't, they can't deal with that here. So like I went up to the deli. And I was like, I'll get a sandwich and I'll feel better. And then, <laughs> but I didn't. I got the sandwich and I sat down. Because when you're on car, you, the last thing you want to do is go talk because you'll lose your job. You, you'll appreciate this too because I collapsed on the table, right? But I had enough presence of mind to realize that so many people collapse on tables in Carnival, and nobody gives a shit. Right, because I need to find somebody. So I got up and I let a couple people. I just found the first Canadian I could find. I couldn't think straight, but I swear to God that is a fact. I went around looking for a Canadian name tag. Okay, I found a stagehand who I hadn't met yet, but they're my favorite people in the world. The 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 the. the stage managers in the black outfits with that. oh my god anyway uh and canadian forget about it i never got to talk to her again i don't even know her name but she saved my life she's like yeah i'll call the the the, the disco one or whatever the hell. hell's like no no i'll die what we should do is uh, instead of you know assembling random filipinos why don't we just walk me down to the people who keep me from dying she's like oh i can't do that i'll get fired like take off your name tag it'll be fine and then they walked down and then i got in there and they wouldn't tell me i had a heart attack they kept it a secret for real and i was terrified because I didn't know what was going on and I had to take it to fly home the next day. So, and I still had a very poor upbringing mentality. I had insurance for the, I've had two heart attacks. This is my second one, and I had insurance for the second one, and it's better when you have insurance. Unless you're on a ship, then it doesn't matter. There's no amount of money that can, so they had to uh, take me, (laughs) they had to, you know Princess Kay? It's an island that Carnival owns.
1: Okay, no. Uh, never there's heard
0: nothing that. on the island, just people go and they do a beach day and they sell whatever it is they sell and they come back on the ship. Well, that was the closest piece of land. So they had to take me to Princess K. Apparently, I was too big for the, the wheelie thing. So they had the Filipino dudes, literally, seven guys. So they have to walk me up and down the, the hallway. And people are coming by that already seen my show. So they're like, hey, it's Johnny. Uh, you're dying, huh? Like, yeah, I yeah, am. Nah. So, and then they put me into an air ambulance, um, which is a jet plane with a bed in it, which I've always wanted. But then they put a bunch of dude nurses in there to ruin all that. So then I fly to Miami, and if you're almost dead, uh, this is true immigration comes to you. Oh. Pretty sweet. Okay. It's nice. A guy came and he showed him the thing and then they put me into a hospital and it was a it was a carnival approved hospital where they send their people, so it wasn't a real hospital. I <laughs> seriously it <laughs> was centric care. It was bad. Man. Yeah. I, I was uh, they sort of put me into a, like a check-in room off to the side, and I lay there for like four and a half hours before I got in. And seriously. during the entire four and a half hours, screaming. In Spanish seven or eight people just scream there's I hear fear I hear anger I hear all kinds of different screams just ter- all in Spanish because it's Miami and and I find out later they keep calling the cruise ship worker needs more water the cruise ship worker needs this this and this and I found out after I left that the first five floors of this building are an insane asylum and the sixth floor is for employees of Carnival Cruise Lines So, it's good to be the cruise worker in that case. And then a doctor who I didn't agree with politically worked on me and I'm fine. A Heart attack feels like somebody is pinching your nipple really, 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 really hard from the inside. But you're also not getting blood to your brain, so you're not thinking straight. And that was the biggest problem. I wouldn't give them my insurance card. I didn't want to pay for the jet. I was like, just let me fly home. I'm fine. They're like, we got a whole bunch of insurance. It wasn't until two and a half hours after I was already in the room where they told me I had a heart attack. Yeah. It made me nuts.
1: And he waited four hours in the hospital for them to treat you,
0: and they finally treated you? After they you. flew me in on the air ambulance.
1: It's incredible.
0: Yeah, not even an IV, man. So what did you do during the pandemic? I did nothing. I stayed home with my children. I redecorated the house. I learned how to cook meat. I started picking up trash around the neighborhood with one of those orange vests in the little bag so that you get a little exercise. Okay. I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2. And it's terrific, Ron. All right. It's just like being outside.
1: But you during the pandemic, I mean, have I you became been, a human being. Yeah, so I, you, you were working on your mental health, is what was. Yes, going on. yeah,
0: I didn't realize it at the time, but yes, I was very much working on my mental health. So I need
1: to spend more time with my family. I need to spend more time with my kids. I need to be home. Yes, and that was the mantra.
0: So it it didn't feel it felt very very selfish. Does that mean comedy had to go away? Traveling for comedy had to go away. I never stopped thinking about comedy. I formed a, a group that I meet with uh, every Sunday. I tried to do a podcast for about a year, of a, like a radio show. It was a... A character I do called Butch Smith called Butch Smith Saves America. You remember yeah, Butch? Of course. I love him. He's a real American. Yeah, He's, uh, yeah. Anyway, it was the idea that he had a podcast and then the fake commercials all the way through, uh, and he would talk politics like an idiot, and then it would be several comedians doing short pieces. And it went really well for about six months, and then it all fell apart because comedians are impossible to work with, as, as you and I know. And I did that for a while, and then I started doing a comedy writing group on Sundays where I took just the open micers in town who I thought had talent, and we started meeting on Sundays and punching up each other's oh, cool. work. And, I think Vicki Rousman used to do that in Orlando. I don't know. I don't know if you knew Vicki. I did yeah. know Vicki. I have yeah. a story with Vicki. She yanked me off the stage at the Funiola. She's yeah, just sounds like, right. get
1: off the stage, Ron. Yeah, I happen. know her very well. Yeah. You need to do comedy, but it has to be at home. You're not traveling right now, anymore.
0: I'm doing a little bit. I just said no to cruise ships completely. I just yeah. didn't even get in contact with them. And I would do like a road 30 minutes every now and then uh, when I can, but mostly. One of the big problems we had is I have little kids, mm-hmm. and I had little kids when I worked with Carnival, so about half of my paycheck would go to babysitters for when I was gone, because my wife's a nurse who works at night. Maybe earned 300 bucks since, actually last week earned a thousand, so, uh, and for this, of course, I'm getting 2,500, so that's pretty sweet. Um, it's on. <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. That's what I got to recheck the thing, but uh, besides that, I've just been doing it as out. a hobby. I, I do comedy stand-up when I can. I have my group on, on Sundays, and I do a... Uh, Here's, I've never promoted this. Yeah, go I'm for it. I'm very excited about this. Uh, every week on Sunday from 11.30 to 12.30, or 11 to 12.30, I do Johnny Millwater's Happy Place, where I sit in front of a green screen and I do a live chat with the folks at home. And I say folks, there's only been one so far, but you know what I mean. And then and I read poetry and I sing songs and I recite Shakespeare and I do all these fun that. things yeah. that I like. Uh, and that's on Sundays. Nobody else likes it so far, but I... I've they seen might. you do it. Yeah, I mean, you have like exactly. a big frame around you. I've yeah, seen. whatever yeah. it is, like a, either it's, uh, it's it's different for everything.
1: Right on. Well, here's what we're going to do. Yes. Whenever we do our vidcast, we always like to get a product involved that's fun. And here's what we've been doing. We've been doing a long term study with um, this new underwear that they've come up with. It's it's like this pouch underwear. Have you heard of the pouch underwear? No, stuff? No, okay. pa- underwear so, with a pouch. That sounds yeah. crazy. So it's underwear that's specially made, and inside the underwear, it has a place for your boys and this is from the sax company so this one particular one has a mesh that it uses from the SAX company? Saks, well, S-A-X-X.
0: Yeah, consider the source.
1: Yep. Yeah. so this is the outside, of course. I put these on in, the, in uh, one of our past shows, and these are designed to keep your boys in. Okay. So they were pretty okay. They kind of rode up a little bit. This, it doesn't really have a thing here to keep uh, this around your leg, as well as these other ones. So we got other ones here, if you don't mind holding that. Here's the thing. The balls. The thing with the balls for this one is freaking great. How many balls do you have? I have two. Okay. Yeah, but this one is like more designed to keep the boys in check, you know, to ah. keep them in Did place and balls? everything. This is all citizens, by the way. So nice, it's nice. great material. It feels very breathable. Not racist, I appreciate that. it's stretchy. It's and available it like for all citizens. But here's the thing, check Mostly this out. Mostly women. On Man. the legs, there's this thing as well that keeps it flush on your legs. It's like having a garter belt. So not only does it keep it but it's like a garter belt for men. Bra. Yeah, it's like a so ball bra. Here's the thing, this thing is, if you want to use it, it's to bring your dink out to take a piss. Ah! Yeah, so, and then you just put your dink I do that, like three,
0: four times a day!
1: (laughs) I'm gonna go put these on, and I'm gonna put my boys inside the thing there, and I'm gonna compare it to the sax company. I'll be right back.
0: Yeah, you go, take care of the thing!
1: I'm sure if I had my jeans on that these would not be riding up because they're not lens. moving. They're not moving at all. Can
0: what did you say? What? Nothing. I was talking to the cameraman. I said you're going to need a long lens. Carry on. I had to put my balls into the thing
1: physically. They sure. didn't just go right into it. I had to put them in there because, the because make they're make laying balls. low. Yeah, but once I put them in there, they felt really good and supported is what I'm oh, saying. Wait, like, I'm, I'm doing...
0: Look at his face. That's what I'm trying to sell. Look how happy he is. Look how well supported. Look how confident this man looks. That is because of the way his balls are being held. If there is a man in this country with two balls and no support, this is the guy to talk to. He (laughs) will hook you up with a pair of underwear. The future of ball-hugging technology is here today. (laughs) All citizens. And it's open to all citizens. All of them. (laughs) Everybody. If you're from Mexico, I'll get you a pair. I know a that. <laughs> Sorry, you're saying, no,
1: it's good underwear. It's good shit. This is the one so far, this is the one that wins. This is your first special and this i'm so happy because i, I kind of feel like i'm pulling you out of retirement
0: yeah this. you definitely are I do if you so remember a, me I ron i'm stoked i mean
1: me you've too. done warm-up gigs and everything and you're oh, ready yeah. for this and tell me what uh i mean are you pulling out some greatest hits do you I have am. new stuff what, what are I you doing i am pulling
0: out my my favorite 25 to 30 minutes of bar comedy this is this is dirty okay. and cheap and there's no uh, re- redeeming value to it whatsoever it's just laugh after laugh after laugh teddy jokes and uh, the ball stuff I'm going to write about 3 to 5 ball jokes tonight I have no doubt I wasn't even thinking about them before I came in and now it's all I can think about <laughs> so uh, yeah it's just real simple real fun stuff without uh, you know any heavy handed pushing right these are the tried and true new this is the polish. some of the stuff's 25 years old some of it's 2 weeks old
1: this is what I loved about Johnny is in his last show on the ship he would do uh the um uh the fast, straight jacket escape yeah he over he'd sing my way as he's escaping from, you know, like, Frank Sinatra's my way. It's the only part of my show I can describe. And he walks down the thing, you're like, (laughs) ah, ah. And look,
0: are you okay, Johnny? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Just let me do this thing. (laughs) I'm a big Ric Flair fan. And every time I've seen Ric Flair, he's a professional wrestler for the folks at home. Uh, He's an 85-year-old man in red underpants, but he's still one of the greatest entertainers who ever lived. Ric Flair, whenever he would leave the ring, he would be able to make the audience cry about how hurt he was and going back to, and since I had to do the stupid thing anyway, and I had to walk all the way through the audience to get to my cabin anyway, I thought, why not make it fun?
1: All right, let's do some rapid fire stuff. Okay. Some, quick fire,
0: some rapid fire stuff. Okay, so um, favorite comedian, biggest influence and in one? Uh, George Carlin, all time, Brian Regan, still living. Love Brian Regan, love George Carlin.
1: Most amazing experience on stage as a comedian, uh, like oh. uh, like a goal reaching kind of thing. Uh, you know,
0: what was your greatest achievement as a comedian so far? I have always, since I started, wanted to get booked at McCurdy's. And today is the day. What else is there? I've never played McCurdy's. I'm psyched. Awesome. I'm hoping to meet Dick Smothers. But I could tell you the worst moment. Yes, please uh, do. This is very clear. This was here in Florida. Most of the bad memories are. This was opening for a guy named Mongo Tom Stokes. Remember Mongo Tom? Biker comic. dared bearded dude. Awesome. He booked me at a biker bar back when I was a magician in a suit. 17. Super cute. you know. And uh, he didn't show up. So it was at the Biker Bar, 35 very hardcore people, lots of leather, lots of beards, lots of Pee Wee Herman, Big Adventure vibes. So uh, the opener was a stripper named Candy, it was Bubba's birthday, not making these names up, this is literally the people who were there. Uh, Bubba got a 25 minute lap dance, and then I went up. Oh hey everybody, how you doing? I do two things, comedy and magic, so if it ain't funny, it's magic, hey! And, uh, they hated me. And then I did my entire act, and the closer was the straight jacket escape at the time. The woman who I brought up on stage to put the straight on me. The straight jacket is uh, two arms that go in the front, and a little strap that goes down there at the bottom to hold it on. So, uh, she put the arms on, and then she yanked my pants and my underwear down. Oh, shit. Yeah. Awesome. And I could, I had, I had to do the escape with my dick hanging out. And the headliner never showed up, so that was the closer. <laughs> and fucking A, because you're not going to follow that. You're not going to follow my dick no, escape from a straight jacket. I love yeah. that.
1: So what would your uh, greatest goal as a comedian would be?
0: I hadn't really thought about it. I don't really think in those terms, man. I'm just hoping to get another uh, gig. I stopped lusting for fame and fortune and lots of attention a long time ago so now I my days about doing the stuff I like doing and that's your children basically my right? Right. children and my art and my wife and my community in Charlotte I have a, I have a nine-year-old girl uh, I should learn her name Jim Gaffigan I owe him money now and uh I have a son who is 14 he'll be no 13 he'll be 15 next week Uh, he's o'rion i remember holding o'rion when he was a little baby that's probably the last time i saw him yeah he's my size now dude looks exactly like me same height same big round moon face poor bastard what would you go for them what do they want to do sweet oh well charlotte is just now starting her first play she's in a she's in moana jr Okay. So that she doesn't make any sense to me. And, and uh, she's white, so she got a very small part. But uh, so she's learning about acting and about, uh, and about theater. And she loves to sing. I hear her singing in her room every night. Mm-hmm. So, so you have a
1: theater geek on your hands, I like I hope yourself. so, my little
0: one, yeah. And my son, Orion, he just loves playing video games and being nice to people. And he's into Pokemon, and he's into Fortnite, and all the standard 13-year-old stuff. I'm sure the other 13-year-old stuff, he don't even, I haven't even caught him yet. He's doing great. What was the name of a comedian when you were on the road They just blew you away? Derek Richards, I had the pleasure of opening for Derek Richards on six or seven occasions when I was a magician, and he was never particularly nice to me because I was an asshole and hard to follow. Because I Not because I was particularly good comic, but because I was, well, you probably oh, thought you were a da, hack. Da, da, yeah. Da. yeah, and he was right. When I watched Derek perform, I stood in the back and I went, wow, that is that is the level of quality that everybody should be. He's Tom polished. Simmons. Tom Simmons is another one. Tom Simmons, I don't know if you ever seen him. He's out of Greensboro, yes. North Carolina now. Yes. He is astonishing. I think he has seven or eight, nine, ten albums, something like that. Always has something interesting to say. For First comic I saw do material about 9-11 after 9-11 that wasn't lazy. That During was the pandemic,
1: he was doing a, a, yeah. a YouTube thing, I think, yeah, that he was a, he uh, a, he kind a, he of like, a, like politically motivated or just yeah. kind of like current event stuff. Yeah. Give me a name of somebody that you've always wanted
0: to meet that you haven't met. You met George Carlin, didn't you? T.R. Kirkland. I'd never met George Carlin. I never got to see him perform live, which I will always regret. Before he died, I wasn't a fan. Before oh, right. he died, I was so... I didn't understand that there was a possibility in stand-up comedy past laughs. I was still at the point where fame, fortune, and big laughs are what I'm going for, and that's it. And I didn't realize there was another level. I could see it, but I was just like, that's not funny. I didn't understand how difficult it was to put challenging concepts into stand-up comedy form. Mm-hmm. And, and also the rhetoric and the poetry and the, the flow and the, the performing and the voices and the characters. I mean, George Carlin did everything better than everybody.
1: No, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad this is coming full circle because um, you're still in comedy. You still dabble in that. It's still a love of yours. You still love the art form, but you're I'm also doing the other it. things that are important as well in your yeah. children and having a presence in your children's lives. So Johnny Millwater, who is back in the comedy world, his comedy special with Open Bar is called Mostly joking and you should check it out right now so we're gonna wrap it up tonight with johnny millwater of the open bar comedy show thank you so much for coming out johnny you're amazing i'm so excited about your special anything for you ron absolutely and uh, thank you for joining us today we will see you next time go check out johnny Millwater's special